This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. In this episode of Front Row Rugby, I have got Springbok legend, former hooker and 1995 Rugby World Cup winner, James Dalton here. Bullet, welcome. Thank you so much for having me um, and uh, on the show. And yeah, I look forward to chatting with you and... Uh, and, and see if I can if I can add more value to to what seems to be a really incredible uh, incredible show for you. I have no doubt you're going to add great value. Now, just before we get started, here's today's trivia question: At the 1999 Rugby World Cup, the Springboks had Scotland and Uruguay in their group. Who was the other team in Pool A? Now, if you know the answer to the question, you can put it in the comment section down below. Also, we'll find out if James Dalton knows the answer to the question, but we'll do that at the end of our conversation. Bullet, let's get started in 1994. How exciting was it for you to be named in the Springbok squad? Well, every kid, let's be honest, every kid, it's really a South African dream to play for your country and, and, and uh, be a Springbok. So... You know, at the time, you don't really understand it or the um, the realities of it. But looking back, it it was phenomenal to be part of of uh, a Springbok team and an era, and to be known as a Springbok in a country that is so fanatical um, is an absolute honor. And and still today, I mean, the accolades are are never ending, and and people still see me as. James Dalton, the, the Springbok rugby player. So yes, I'm I'm very very blessed, and 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 I can understand why it's such an honour to to play for South Africa. Did you think you were going to get onto the field in that first test against Argentina? Because Uli Schmidt was the starting hooker after all. Who's Uli Schmidt? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I think you know just being in the squad. You know, Uli Uli was my childhood hero, and. Um, I wasn't really expecting much, you know. I, I didn't know whether I'd get on the pitch. You know, we generally in in that era or, the, or those times of playing rugby, and I hate saying that because it makes me sound like I'm very, very old. But you know, the the top, the number one ranked or selected player who ran out the tunnel generally ran off the field. It wasn't unless you had a severe concussion or, or a serious injury. So to get on was absolutely amazing, and uh, and that's where the journey started. We played a one-off test against Western Samoa just before the 1995 Rugby World Cup. You didn't play in that. Was that because of an injury, or was something else going on? No, it was it was just in preparation. Our kitchen had structured certain things, um, so yeah, it was merely just a, a selection thing. So. Uh, uh, as far as my memory serves me, I don't think I had an injury, but it was a while ago. Let's talk about the 1995 Rugby World Cup. How confident were you that you would be named in that squad? Did you have any conversations with Kitch Christie, for example? Well, well, I mean, the, the build-up to, to the final selection of the squad, nobody really knew who was going to be in or who was not going to be in. Obviously, there were there were senior players and journeymen that, that were guaranteed. And at the same time, there were a lot of young young talent, young blood coming through. Um, and it was only just before the announcement of the, uh, the squad that Uli actually decided to retire due to neck injuries. Or as I always joke with him, yeah, that was his story. I think maybe... Uh, you know, Uli was very protective of himself and his career and how he managed that. And I and I, and I knew that 
I was placing too much and a lot of pressure on him. And I think he was a little bit pensive about possibly uh, at times playing second fiddle to myself. But yeah, by the by the grace of of God and and fortune favors the brave, that I was the incumbent uh, and and the next guy uh, to take over from Willie. So I'm very very honoured and privileged for for that accolade in itself. It's quite well documented that Kitch Christie wanted South Africa to be the fittest team at that tournament. How intense were those training sessions? Wow, I mean. So we were pretty much still classified as, as amateurs. So to, to put it into context, we had Ray Mort, who, I mean, just the man himself, if you, if you look what he looks like still today, is uh, a conditioning and a fitness uh, freak. And Kitch was, was hell-bent on, on, on seeing how hard he can push us before he'd break us. So we all we would always have this psychological warfare with him. When we were really, really tired, we would tease him and say, Coachy, what is Fogenda? In other words, Coach, what is next? And then uh, kids would say to Ray Mort, he used to call him Joe, was his nickname. He says, Joe, look at these guys. They're not even tired. They want more. <laughs> but we were naked. So, uh, you know, we, we, we traditionally would, would first start off with a with a with a run, then we would do shuttle runs, then we would drag sandbags, then we would have scrumming sessions, line out sessions. The backs would do uh, their their stuff. We would do a team run, and then at the at the end we would uh, still do some more fitness, and then finish off with uh, a Ray Mort's uh, infamous power half hour with dumbbells. And step ups, which would some nights accumulate up to about three hundred step ups with dumbbells in your hand. So, and that training session would span probably two and a half, three hours at a time. That is intense. So, it's the nineteen ninety five Rugby World Cup opening match against the Wallabies at Newlands. How nervous were you? <laughs> I mean, you know, we on we on first time really on the international stage, our first World Cup ever. Playing at Newlands, jam-packed. I've never seen so many painted faces and South African flags flying. And to add to it, we're playing the incumbent world champions in Australia, and I'm up against my another childhood hero in in Phil Kearns. So nobody really gave us a chance, but we gave ourselves a phenomenal chance, knowing that we, the new kids on the block, we were just younger, we were fitter albeit that they were icons uh, of the game, but I think they were just a little bit overcooked in terms of, of age. It was their time to get knocked over. I've actually watched that match back a couple of times now, and it's my opinion that collectively we looked quite nervous, especially in the opening 20 minutes, but then the Peter Hendricks try changed everything. Would you go along with that? Certainly. I mean, you know, for, for Peter, you know, it's, it's all about getting momentum, and I still remember myself running down the, the one-touch line uh, where that ball was then, uh, you know, circulated and landed up going out wide to Peter, and Peter beating the, the the legendary, the iconic David Campisi, and you know, handing him off and scoring in the corner. I mean, you know, it, it's 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 storybook stuff. It's 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 magical. And yeah, I think from there we just we just went into another gear. 
Okay, James. I know you know what the next question is. Port Elizabeth, <laughs> in your own words, Canada, Port Elizabeth, what happened? So listen nicely to this. So I can say I was in PE about six months ago, and there is no more Guti Rasmus. They've knocked the damn thing down, <laughs> and I was the only man, last man standing. <laughs> Yeah, look, I mean, I'm actually sitting looking at a photo of myself. So to put it into context, first of all, I couldn't believe it when the referee pulled out the red card and sent me off. I mean, I was in total disbelief, dismay, whatever, whatever word. I mean, I was all of the above. Um, and that that walk with my hands on my head, um, you know, Grandpa still made an advert of it, you know. <laughs> so that's how I felt. But it was a walk of shame for me. I have to be honest. It, uh, you know, I was walking from the uh, the opposite grandstand, uh, all on my own, and I just felt all these eyes looking at me and felt disappointed. And I let everybody down. And then going into the change room, it was like silent. It was like a like a mortuary in there. I was the only one in the change room at the time, sitting there. And then I still remember Kitch. Uh, uh, coming into the change room and consoling me and say, saying to me, you know, I don't need to worry. It wasn't my fault that they would support me and that I would still be his number one uh, hooker. So in 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 that sadness, there was a little bit of light for for me, but it it it, it wasn't nice. I can tell you that much. I'm interested to know what was the disciplinary process like. Do they put you in a small room like we see in the movies, or what exactly happens? So first of all. You make the statement of what was the process like. There was no process. That was that was the problem with it. So after the game, there was a committee of two French guys and an Englishman with a translator present for the French guys. So a hearing should be where you, you ventilate and and debate and discuss, etc that the, the mediator or the, the translator was not used once by both Frenchmen, in fact, to try and interpret what I was trying to say in English. So it, 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 was, it was disgusting, to say the least. And playing everything in slow motion, which is not real, was also... So I was I was on a hiding second to nothing. They 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 had made up their minds that they were going to suspend me. That was my fate. No matter what I said or did not say, it was it, it was what it turned out to be a suspension for me. Did you still get a rugby world cup winners medal? Yes, yes, I did. We got we had our ten year reunion, and I got a ring as well, and I got my medal. So. Uh, yeah, you know, some people say that's, that medal's on loan to me. <laughs> but so be it, I've got it. But you did play in the tournament and contribute towards the victory ultimately, so it's well-deserved, I think. You know, people would rather focus on the negatives and, and you know, what suits their narrative. But, you know, if you look, I had a very, very successful Springbok career thereafter um, with a lot of achievements. So that was merely just one obstacle in my road. And ironically enough, that's made me even more of a household name. Absolutely. Is that it's bad at the time? 
but certainly it had more ups, ups than downs. Let's fast forward to 1996. We've lost a test series against New Zealand for the first time in South Africa. Andre Marcroft then drops Francois Pinar. What was your reaction to that? Jeez, I think no, not only my reaction. We were all absolutely astounded. We were flabbergasted by that. Uh, but if I, if my memory serves me correct, Francois also uh, had a serious head injury concussion at Newlands. So, you know, I think it was pretty much Francois, Francois calling after that. And, and every coach has to have some sort of a link and a bond to a captain and with a captain where they share, they sing off the same hymn page and they share the same, same goals and commonality and are able to sit in each other's company. And I do not think that was the case um, with, with Francois and Marcroft. At the same time, you know, coaches tend to be a little bit intimidated by, you know, at that stage with Francois. So for him to choose another captain that made him maybe feel a little bit more comfortable in his position was maybe the reason for it. How special was it to beat France in France in 96? Yeah, it was amazing. I don't think anybody had won a test series there for like 10 years. So, uh, yeah, man, it, 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 it was amazing. It was amazing, especially uh, in, 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 in Paris. And uh, I think it was Toulouse where we all also played. So a, a, a victory, any victory in a Springbok jersey is, is, is an awesome victory. And you also scored your first test try against France in Paris in that second test, which turns out was crucial. Yeah, no, the, in test match rugby, all trials are crucial. It's like in cricket, they say catches win matches, but tries also win test matches. So, uh, you are scoring a try in a box jersey. I mean, it's just, there's nothing that beats that. <laughs> and then shortly after that tour, Marcroft was out. We know what happened. We're not actually going to discuss that uh, in this interview. But in came Carl Duplessis. The first assignment was against the British and Irish Lions. And you sat on the bench for most of that series. How frustrating was that for you? Yeah, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't nice. I mean, I did, I did play in that uh, in the third test when we actually beat the, 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 uh, the British Lions. But uh, you know that's that's the role of the dice. You know, each coach has his has his um, opinions on players. Um, I might not have agreed with it. Narco probably did agree with it. Um, but you know, after that, you know, Narco was pretty much the the bench warmer for me uh, for for the rest of his career. And I always tease him and Chris Rousseau. Chris Rousseau and I have become actually quite close in, in friendship, ironically enough, and we hated each other. And, you know, the, that I always say to them, you know, guys, if it wasn't for me either being injured or making trouble, you guys probably would never have got a test cap. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right. So Nick Mallet comes in after that Tri-Nations and we go on a run of 17 wins in a row. What was the difference? What did Nick bring to the table? Look, Nick, Nick had a... Coral was a, a legend, an icon of the game. But he could not transcend that same status as, as a coach. Um, people didn't believe in what Coral had to say. And he was, he was a bit all over the place. And the strength of a coach is having the ability to be accurate with your team selections. You don't always have to like all the players that you're going to select. And that's why it's, it's so important to be able to have people and managing skills where you can manage players 
Because at that level, you can't really coach them. And that is when Mick showed his strength. And that's where the his strengths uh, came through in his ability to manage players, choose the best players around the country, and gel us into a, a, a winning a winning team. Um, and, and, yeah, I just think Mick's arrogance, you know, he had an arrogance uh, about himself, which, which spilled over to us where we, we believed that, you know, we were unbeatable. And, and we showed that for, for being unbeaten in 17 uh, tests consecutively. They say winning is a habit. We were 23-5 down against the All Blacks in Durban in 1998 in the Tri-Nations. And I think with about 12 minutes to go, we came back and won 24-23. How special was that? Yeah, well, I mean, we, you know, at one stage, every time we looked, we were behind the poles. <laughs> so, I mean, to turn that game around, especially against the All Blacks, is pretty much unheard of. I mean, it doesn't happen in Test Match Rugby. Um, and we were absolutely elated, you know, when I scored that try, which still is a controversial try today. You know, everyone asked me, did you score it? I say, is it on the scoreboard? <laughs> but, you know, that, I, I still think the All Blacks themselves cannot believe that they actually lost that Test Match. Talk to me about that end of year two in 1998, because even though we were still winning, it was clear that the performances were not quite as solid as we had seen previously. What was going on? What was the difference? We were tired. We were a battered uh, team. You know, it, it was the same squad. It was the same start in 15. Uh, you know, Nick pretty much made it clear in terms of who was number one and who was number two respectively, in, in the certain positions. So the guys the guys were tired. There were a lot of us carrying injury. And then also the morale was a little bit broken by Nick's comment before we went on that European tour uh, from, from me just earlier saying that, uh, you know, he, he, th there was no playing games. You knew you were number one on the tour. You knew you were going to start. So the, the reserve hooker would make peace with it. And there was no talking and fighting in the corridors. On just before departure on that tour, you know, Nick Nick in a huddle made uh, such an explosive comment where he said that uh, none of you guys are guaranteed of your positions on this tour, and that that was really where you know the air was taken out of our sails, and we all looked at each other in absolute dismay and thought, you know, what the hell is this guy's been smoking something? Right, right. So, Bullet, you didn't play Test rugby again until two thousand and two. What happened? And I got bored, to be quite honest. It just the the allure to play wasn't quite there. I um, bumped heads with Laurie Mains at at the at the Lions, and I just I just lost my my passion for the game. And uh, you know, I went on a two year sabbatical, and as they say, went and broke shit for two years. <laughs> Excuse my language. And then I met. My, my wife at the time, Andrea, and she just said, man, weren't you really very good? I said, yeah, I know. well, I believe so. And yes, I was. And she said, well, why don't you make a comeback? And a comeback I made indeed. And, uh, you know, I trained. I got myself a personal trainer. And, uh, yeah, the same year I was reselected or selected again to to play for my country and proudly so. Well, it was great having you back in O2, but obviously the Springbok squad was a very different place compared to the previous time that you had been there. What were the differences that you noted? Things change, and that's what you got to uh, be, be cognizant of. It's, you know, I also got, we, we were becoming a little bit more professional in the way we were doing things. I then came back, I was a lot older than, than my peers, and I struggled with that. 
Um, you know, at that stage, I had a, probably a 90% win record as a springbok. And I was found myself on the on the losing side. Not saying that my teammates, I was better than my teammates, but I battled with that culture. Also battled with the younger generation's way of, of doing stuff. They weren't, in my mind, as, as tough as my generation I played with. You know, they'd play a game on a Saturday, then Monday they'd come and they can't train because they've got a little bump on their leg. And then they'd be sitting and eating McDonald's in their bedrooms and drinking Coca-Cola and playing Xbox. And I just didn't fit in. And before I became this grumpy old man that moaned about everything and referred to things about in Maydar and my day, I thought it was time to to say goodbye. Then. How tough was that end of year tour? Well, oh, no, it was... I mean that the 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 tour the tour was difficult. I mean we lost to Scotland, uh, and then we uh, uh, lost to England after Janis Labuschagne was sent off, and embarrassingly to the loss to to the English. So no, it, it it was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. You mentioned that you felt that it was time for you to go. Did you not have any motivation to try and hang around for the two thousand and three Rugby World Cup? Well, it, it was a discussion that Rudolf and I had had after, uh, you know, I actually remember we beat Australia at Ellis Park. That was my last test match. And afterwards at the cocktail party, I called Rudolf one side and I said to him, coach, I'm done. And he said, but Bullet, there's the World Cups around the corner. And I said, well, I couldn't care a damn, or, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm tapping out now. I've had enough. I don't get butterflies. I don't get excitement anymore. And before I hang around and waste everybody's time, you know, this is this is it. I don't think I'm that big on World Cups, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us then, where does the name Bullet come from? It comes from Kitch Christie. So when he came to the Lions, as uh, which which he always regarded as a the hospital boss, hospital job with uh, Louis Late getting him in as an interim coach. Um, one night at training, he never knew anybody's or the players' names, and he came up with the nickname Bullet for myself. And let me tell you, I own that because I know of some nicknames that are diabolical, like Flace and Pierce and Buxton. So Bullet is pretty cool. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim that one. <laughs> it really is. It's one of the best nicknames out there, in my opinion. So Bullet, I can tell that you're a guy who loves to have a laugh. Tell me, at school, were you the class clown? Jeez, I wouldn't say the class clown, but I was pretty damn naughty. <laughs> a prankster. I would keep my, my fellow uh, schoolmates uh, uh, certainly on their toes at all times. I can just imagine. Okay, time to have a look at that trivia question again. At the 1999 Rugby World Cup, the Springboks had Scotland and Uruguay in their group. Who was the other team in Pool A? Do you know the answer, Bullet? No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to guess. I don't want to throw my name away, so I'll raise my hand and say I don't know. The answer is Spain. Okay, there we go. That brings back the memory. Yeah, to date, it's the only time they've actually appeared at the Rugby World Cup. James, that brings an end to our conversation today on Front Row Rugby. I want to say that it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. It really was lovely, and I hope that we can have you on again in the future. Thank you for having me. It's always indeed a, a pleasure to chat to, to fellow countrymen, and, and I wish you everything in the best going forward. 
and and uh, keep well, stay safe, and uh, upwards and onwards. Last time on Front Row Rugby, Tennis Dalport was my guest. You can go and have a look at that video. It's appearing on the screen right now. Next time, Ollie LaRue will be here. This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. If you enjoyed this content, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. See you next time.